I am Joe Greenwood, and our scripture this morning comes from Mark 6, 30 through 44, and the title is Jesus Feeds the 5,000. And as I read, take note when you hear specific things, but the main thing is that Jesus is the bread. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And he said to them, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. After taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Thanks, Joe. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, we're back in Mark. We took uh, a break last week for our parent commissioning child dedication. Um, but we're back in Mark, and we're back in looking through this concept of repent and believe. Um, Mark, one of the primary themes of Mark is repent and believe. And so um, it, it's meant to teach us because Scripture is not uh, only information about God and about us. It is a formative tool. It is meant to teach us how to follow him. And so one of the ways that Mark teaches us to follow Jesus is through this concept of repenting, turning from our sin, and believing, turning towards Jesus. And so this morning, um, our, our passage that uh, Joe just read for us is going to do the same thing. We're going to understand how Jesus intends to lead us through repentance and faith with this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, and like Joe said when he was reading, uh, as we work through this text, I just want you to keep in mind that Jesus is the bread, okay? Um, there's, there's a particular reason uh, that the Holy Spirit has given us this passage in this place in Mark on this day in your life. And so um, not only do we need to understand that Jesus is the bread, but there's three conclusions that I've drawn from this text that emphasize Jesus being the bread. Uh, those three conclusions uh, are also our outline this morning, so I'll give you those three things. We are hungry. Jesus knows. And Jesus satisfies. All three of those are very important. 
we could just cut straight to Jesus satisfies. But there, there is depth, there is meaning, there's life in understanding all three of these conclusions that G, we are hungry, Jesus knows, and Jesus satisfies. And so um, we'll start with we are hungry. Would you agree with me if I said that you are in need? Good. I had, I had a whole bit on like, I don't need you to agree with me, it's in the Bible. I don't have to go there. We are in need, right? Our souls are in need. Many of us, our bodies are in need. But Jesus uses the physical as a way to illustrate the spiritual, doesn't he? He brings the disciples out to this desolate place to remind them as they look around in this this place that is empty, that has no life to give them, that it would remind them that this place is empty and it has no life to give us. So we are in need. Our souls are hungry for something. And so um, as we move into this portion, this, this hunger, uh, examine yourself. What is it that you need? And I'll just remind you, sometimes what we think we need is not actually what we need. We'll learn in a second that Jesus knows better what we need. But just think of this. What is something that you need that you cannot get for yourself? What do you need that you cannot get for yourself? Now, when Jesus calls his disciples out into this desolate place, we see in uh, verse 30 through 31, he's calling them out for a very specific reason. He says, let's go over to this desolate place because they had just come back. Uh, if we look back in, in chapter six, Jesus sent them out to their, do their ministry, right? He sent them out with his authority to cast out demons, to preach the message of good news in Jesus, that the kingdom is here. They're joining in this ministry of, of restoring all things back to God, right? And they have Jesus' authority to do that. And so they come back to Jesus. It says in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. You can, remember, Mark is written from the perspective of Peter. And so you can kind of feel that like that intensity and that energy that Peter brings. He's like, we were so excited to come back and tell Jesus all the things that we'd been doing. But look at how Jesus responds. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. That phrase, they had no leisure even to eat, will come back to us. But what you need to see in this moment is that the disciples are in need. They don't know it. They're excited. They're running off of adrenaline from their ministry. They don't realize that their souls are now hungry for something their work cannot give them. Do I need to say that again? Our souls are hungry for something our work cannot give to us. And so as we spend this time understanding that we are hungry and we're examining ourselves, one of these questions we must ask ourselves is where am I looking to be satisfied? Where, what am I looking to, to be fed? Might it be what I can do for God or what I can do for myself? The danger the disciples were in. They were dangerously hungry. They just didn't know it. 
the danger they were in was finding something worthy in their work to satisfy them. And this, this taking something good given to us by Jesus and twisting it to bring us glory, to satisfy our own souls, this is sin. One way we do this is through work, but this is sin, that we would take something good and right and given to us by God, and we would twist it for our own use to satisfy our souls rather than finding satisfaction in Jesus. And so this rebellious bent we have to either take something given to us from God or to use our work to try to earn something from God, God responds to that by giving us his son Jesus. And the hope and the fulfillment that we have in Jesus is that now we don't depend on what we can do for God, but we depend on what he has done for us. And so in his kindness, Jesus points out to his friends that we just need to get away. I know you're excited about your work. You're really proud of what you've done, but we need to get away and you need to rest. Augustine, um, well, it's, it's also important that he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. That, that phrase, come away, is like Jesus is already going there. And so where are the disciples going? They're going to a desolate place to be with Jesus. He's pointing out to them the object of their restoration is him. And so Augustine in the fourth century said, our souls are restless until they find rest in you. And Augustine didn't come up with that concept. Jesus did. And he's referencing this getting away to a desolate place to rest. Now let's look at verse 34 because it's not only the disciples who are hungry, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. See, the crowd was spiritually hungry. They had come to Jesus. They knew that he uh, was going to this desolate place. They'd found out where he was going. They probably knew that they would go there a lot. They probably saw the boat set sail. They're like, you know what? He's going over there. Let's take the long way around. And let's beat him there. And that's exactly what they did. And one thing that's important for us to see is that Jesus saw they were in need and then his response was to teach them. That's a clue for us to see that um, nobody but Jesus was really, besides John the Baptist, but we learned that he's out of the picture now, but nobody but Jesus had been preaching this good news of the restoration of God's kingdom. These these crowds had many teachers and rabbis, but no truth. They were being led astray. And so as, as we can find ourselves sometimes in the dangerous hunger of the disciples, we can also find ourselves sometimes in the dangerous hunger of the crowds. And I think that's one of our anxieties of our time is that we feel so threatened by all of the false narratives out there, all of the the fake news, all of the the false truths that might lead us astray. And what Jesus doesn't do is remind them of all the bad things they need to stay away from. He gives them himself. He says, I'm not going to waste your time telling you what to stay away from. I'm just going to give you me. 
I'm gonna give you what's true so you know what's false based on what you know about what's true. And so he teaches them. Um, but many of us know, we've, we've experienced the pain of, of being sheep without a real shepherd. Um, the danger here is that we're, we run the risk of eventually thinking that we don't need to be shepherded. We don't think we need the church. We don't think we need church leadership. We don't think we need to be pastored. We don't think we need to be led. And what's really dangerous about this is once we convince ourselves that we don't need to be shepherded by Jesus-appointed shepherds, at some point, we'll stop being shepherded by Jesus. Because the ecclesiology, the structure of the church is such that Jesus appoints his leaders who will depend on him. And those leaders lead the churches. And so Brian and I, as the elders of this church, are committed to our leadership being under the direct authority of Jesus because scripture tells us, and we cannot get away from this, that Jesus is the head of the church. And so not only are we committed to, our, to ourselves following his, his headship, his leadership, we also hold one another accountable to that. And we have people outside of us who are also elders who hold us accountable to that. And so the design of the church is meant to work in such a way that sheep have shepherds because sheep need shepherds. And once we convince ourselves that we don't, we're at risk of eventually not being shepherded by Jesus himself. And so these crowds come to him with no shepherd. Now, we've, we've understood, we've pointed out hunger that the disciples are in, that the crowds are in. And I've asked you to examine yourselves, right? This is just a regular work that we should do. Psalm 139 helps us understand how to do that. I think it's verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my insides. He already does. See if there's any wicked way, any grievous way, any evil in me that I may follow you in this ancient way, this, this way of fearing the Lord and trusting in him. We're called to do this work regularly. So I asked you the question earlier, do you know that you're hungry? Do you know that you're in need? And a good, a good place to start is what do you need that you cannot get for yourself? So the, the spiritual hunger of the disciples, the, the spiritual hunger of this crowd is meant to point out that we often find ourselves as hungry. And I want us to sit with that and understand that because we need to move on from that, right? We need to understand our need. This is what, when Jesus in Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe, we cannot, we cannot believe until we repent. And we can't truly repent without belief. We cannot trust, turn to God in faith without turning from our sin. And so we cannot be satisfied in Jesus until we repent of ignoring our hunger or trying to find satisfaction for ourselves. Whether that's in our own work, whether that's in our own leadership, whether that's in finding um, people to be dependent on to satisfy us, finding circumstances to satisfy us, whatever it is, we must repent of looking everywhere else 
but Jesus to be satisfied in order for us to understand that he knows we're hungry and that he satisfies our souls. And so I want you to pay close attention, even closer attention to two things as we continue on with this passage. Two questions that if you're taking notes, it'd be good for you to write these down. What does this story tell me about who Jesus really is? What, is, what does this feeding miracle tell me about who Jesus really is and even how he really is? The other question is, how is Jesus good news to me? How is Jesus good news? So remember where we're going. We're hungry. Jesus knows. Jesus satisfies. Let's go back into verse 31. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. You see, Jesus had paid attention to the disciples. He had noticed how excited they were about what they had done. Remember, he sent them out in his authority, and they come back talking about all the great things they'd done. So there's something in the conversation we miss that Jesus gets. But he also knew the temptation that they were facing. He knew the exhaustion that they were experiencing because Jesus had been doing this. It's important for us to see in this moment, Jesus knows the disciples because Jesus too was human, fully God, fully man at the same time. Not 50% man, 50% God, 100% man, 100% God. It's a mystery. We'll figure it out someday. What we know, because scripture tells us Jesus was fully God, fully man. So he fully knew the human experience. You can turn to Hebrews 4 and see that that we have a great high priest in Jesus who has fully experienced every, sin, every temptation yet without sin. So he actually knows temptation better than we do because he's lasted farther through it. C.S. Lewis gives this picture of temptation uh, when he's referencing Hebrews 4, where he actually says, um, if temptation were a wind... There's a point where all of us get blown over, but Jesus sustained the wind until it stopped. He knew the full force of the wind until it had no wind left. So we can trust that Jesus knows our temptation to find satisfaction for ourselves. He knows it. And so he gives this knowledge to the disciples and says, let's get away to a desolate place because I need to show you there's nothing around you that can satisfy you, only me. Let's look at verses 32 through 34 to see the crowds now. Now, many saw them going and recognized them. So, so a great crowd saw Jesus and the disciples and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Um, you know why Jesus took a boat, right? It's not just because he had it, because it gets there quicker. It's quicker and it's easier but these people were so desperate that they took the long way around the water 
Like Jesus had a straight shot to this desolate place and they ran from all the towns around the shore and beat him there. Talk about hungry. But notice that Jesus doesn't get frustrated with the interruption. Like the disciples and Jesus are going on a, a weekend vacation, right? They're going to rest And these people with great need beat him to this desolate place. And he's not frustrated. He's not annoyed. He doesn't complain. He doesn't even make a sarcastic comment to his friends. Another C.S. Lewis quote, he says that who we really are comes out when we're interrupted. Right? So we see who Jesus really is. Jesus is compassion. He doesn't see the interruption. He sees the need and the fact that he can meet it. Jesus knew full well by experience and by wisdom the danger that the disciples were in, that the crowds were in. And he responds with compassion We are hungry, Jesus knows. Now think about why the crowd beat him to this spot. They probably had lots of other needs. They probably had lots of physical needs. There were probably some demon-possessed people. There were probably some people who were blind or deaf or mute, probably some who were lame and couldn't walk, some who couldn't work, some who were destitute and in need, some like these other people we've seen miracles from. Bleeding for many years, lepers. There's probably plenty of need. And if you would have asked the crowd, what is it that you need? What's the thing you need that you can't get for yourself? They probably would have responded with something like, Well, I need healing, I need freedom, I need a meal for my family. But what does Jesus give them? Compassion and truth. And so as we examine ourselves and determine our true needs, we use scripture and we use prayer to understand from Jesus himself what we really need. What he offers us is compassion and truth. And so what this looks like to us is that Jesus knows what we need better than we do. So if we're functioning under pursuit of meeting a need that we haven't asked for his clarity on, that's what we need to do. We need to stop Jesus. What what do I need right now? There's another aspect um, to Jesus' knowledge that matters a lot. Uh, here in this passage, because we could understand we're hungry and then skip over to Jesus satisfies. But what does relational knowledge give to us? Understanding that Jesus knows our need, what does that give to us that if we skipped it, we'd be without? Well, without relational knowledge, Jesus is a spiritual vending machine. Our need is just duty. 
The Father sent him down to meet our needs. That's it. He doesn't have to know us. He doesn't have to deal with us. He doesn't have to get his hands dirty. He just dies on a cross, meets our need for forgiveness, and that's it. But Jesus spent time here. Jesus had friends. Jesus was human so that he could know us so that his actions now were not dutiful, but they were authentic. I have, I have lived with a chronic illness for 12 years. I see a lot of doctors and nurses. I have some really good doctors. The nurses that treat me, that um, help um, take my blood, that give me my medication, that help me with my body scans and all the stuff I have to go through, they're good at their jobs and they're kind and they're compassionate. But out of everyone who cares for me, do you know whose care is the most compassionate, is the most meaningful. My wife's. And why is that? Because as much as my doctors know about me, and as much as the nurses know about medicine, my wife knows me. She anticipates what I'm gonna need. She's been down this road before. She's experienced my sickness. And she knows what I need. Now that, that example, that analogy falls short because I'm not satisfied in my wife. That is a temptation. I could go there. But when we understand that the knowledge of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus makes his love for us genuine and authentic, then we're like, okay, I think I can start to be satisfied in this guy. Jesus knows our hunger because he lived it. He knows our temptation and our exhaustion because he lived it. He knows what our souls need because he lived it. In the last several verses of this passage, we see this this repetition of the word loaves. Loaves is repeated three times in the last several verses of our text. Now, when the Bible repeats something, it's doing that on purpose. So when, it, when you see repetition, that means pay attention. Circle it, underline it, make note of this. The Bible doesn't only repeat this concept of bread here in this story. It repeats it throughout Scripture. It makes a habit, the Holy Spirit, knowing the fullness of Scripture because he wrote it, repeats this image of human need and satisfaction in bread. And what did Joe and I start with this whole time asking you to keep in mind? Jesus is the bread. And so we get this picture here, this story of people being so hungry and so in need, and Jesus feeds them bread. This is a way to look back through the rest of Scripture. Right In the Exodus, when Israel is making their way out of slavery from Egypt, a very beautiful picture of God saving his people from sin to bring us into a promised land, restoration, full life in him. What does he feed them with in the wilderness? Could he have sustained them without ever having to give them food or water? Yes, he could have. But God chose 
to feed Israel with what? I heard it, manna. And we learn from the Bible, when it says manna, it says bread from heaven. There's another story, one that immediately came to mind when I started looking into this repetition throughout scripture. Um, The prophet Elijah, uh, there's this widow whose only son is on his deathbed and they only have one meal left. Uh, and the, the prophet visits them. And the, what ends up happening is this woman's, uh, as she says, you know, I, I only have enough uh, for one meal left. I only have enough oil and flour for one more loaf. And so she cooks it and, and bakes it. And then she keeps coming back to find more oil and more flour so that she could make more bread. It's this, these miracles of bread that sustain the people of God in their hunger. And guess what? They have to get to the point where they know they're hungry. God doesn't feed Israel in the wilderness until they're like, okay, God, we're hungry now. We need some food. This widow is not sustained by the miracle of bread until she realizes this is all I have left. And even in those stories, we can see that Jesus is the bread Because the only thing that satisfies in our human experience is the fullness of the love of Christ. And so what is this love? In order for us to understand this love, we must understand our hunger and our need. We desperately need forgiveness. We desperately need someone to be compassionate to us. Because this sin and rebellion that I've talked about before This has separated us from God. It's kept us from being fully restored. It's actually broken our design nature of being like him and being with him. And it's it's made our, our nature now more like sin, where we take things from God and we make them work for us rather than bring him glory. We're in desperate need. But Jesus came and lived a fully human life and died on the cross to satisfy those needs of forgiveness and restoration and to bring us back into our design, initial design nature, to live like that forever with him. Um, This repetition of bread doesn't end with this story, but I want you to pay attention. Let's look at how what Jesus does with the bread, how he handles this bread actually communicates something and it continues this image into the New Testament and through the New Testament. Uh, In verse 41, in taking the five loaves and the two fish, the fish are usually kind of an afterthought here. um, He looked up to heaven. He took the loaves looked to heaven, said a blessing. He told God, thank you. And then he broke the loaves and he gave it out. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And then he divided the fish among them. Would you look with me at Matthew 26, verse 26? Because what Jesus does in taking the bread, lifting it to heaven, thanking God for it, breaking it and handing it out, this is not, it's not like a foreshadowing, like, hey, I'm gonna tell you a secret about something to look out for later. This is actually like 
a, a, like a recall, like it's looking into the past, but the Bible doesn't work that way always. It also can look into the future. And so it's giving us a little glimpse, a peek behind the curtain at what's about to come. The disciples would have caught on, one, because their culture, they knew that bread meant something special to God. They're waiting to understand what that meant. But they also lived their whole life with Jesus, doing this weird thing with bread, taking it, lifting it to heaven, breaking it, like, like this is some sort of ceremony. No, people just need to be fed right now. But Jesus makes this kind of like a ceremony. Look at Matthew 26. This is the last supper just before Jesus' arrests and death on the cross when he sacrificed to meet our need of forgiveness. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. What a weird thing to say. This is my body. It feels strange out of context for Jesus to say, take this bread, it's my body, even though he's standing right there. But I also want you to, I want you to look at John 6, if you'll turn to John 6, verses 32 through 35. We get a little bit of understanding of why he says, this is my body. So in this moment at the Last Supper, right before he dies, the disciples' eyes are open, and surely all those memories of those times where Jesus did the weird thing with the bread, they probably had an inside joke about it. But when he did that, and then it all clicked when he said, this is my body. But listen here at John 6, verse 32 through 35. Now, John records many of the same stories that Mark records. John just recorded the story of the 5,000 being fed, this story that we're reading in Mark. Not long, down the road from this miracle happening. It's, it's right next to it on purpose. Jesus, it, he explains this miracle that we just read in John. I know it's confusing, I'm sorry. John 6 interprets Mark 6. Is that better? It's a special moment after he feeds 5,000 people. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He's talking about the manna. He references what, what these people already know about the Exodus that I just said, this theme of bread that I just walked you through. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life, this bread that keeps you alive. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I've said so many things this morning, but if you leave here remembering something, the most important thing I want you to remember is Jesus is the bread. Because when you read the rest of your Bible and you see something about bread, I want you to remember that Jesus is the bread. And when you eat bread, I want you to remember Jesus is the bread. How do Jesus' miracles usually end? Do you guys know? We've gone through a few in the last several weeks. Can anybody, I see some heads nodding. Let's wake up a little bit. Think about these stories. When Jesus performs a miracle, how do the, what's the response? What's the emotions of the crowd? What's, what's the response of the crowd when the miracle's done? Yeah, they're amazed. They're awestruck. They worship. What else? Y'all remember when Jesus calmed the waters? 
how did the disciples feel? They were terrified. How did the, the Pharisees, the bad guys, how did the Pharisees respond when Jesus performs a miracle? On Sabbath. Oh, they're angry, right? No one is angry here. No one is terrified. No one is awestruck. No one is amazed. What's the response in verse 42? They're satisfied. They're satisfied. Jesus, miracle of the bread, satisfies. Why? Because Jesus is the bread. Because Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies our need for forgiveness. He satisfies our need for attention and compassion by the most powerful and most loving being who has ever existed. Jesus satisfies the needs of our souls that we don't know, but that he knows. And I, I, I'm not going to give you a formula to say, do these things, and then you'll find satisfaction in Jesus. You would probably like that. That'd probably make some of you really happy if I just gave you a list of things to do. That would make me really happy. That's not how it works. That's what Jesus is calling the disciples out of. So I don't want to send you down that same path to say, follow these steps and you'll be satisfied in God. But what I can tell you is where to go when you're hungry, who to turn to when you're in need. When you know you need to be satisfied and you don't know what to do about it, there's someone in this book who meets those needs, who satisfies the longings of your soul. And when you're hungry enough to look for him, when you're desperate enough to follow him into the des desolate places, you will. You just, you'll go there, even if it means you take the long way around. And so when we share communion we take this bread. Ben, you can go ahead and come up. Remember, Jesus is the bread. So every time you eat bread, I want you to remember Jesus is the bread. When we take communion, this is our confession. This is what we're saying in this moment. Is that on this night, Jesus' body was taken. It was blessed. It was lifted up on a cross. And it was broken for our forgiveness. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. And we who confess and believe that Jesus is the bread, that Jesus is the true and only source of satisfaction and salvation, we do this weekly to remember and proclaim that Jesus is the bread. We proclaim together that we are hungry, that Jesus knows and that only Jesus satisfies. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we give thanks to you for your son. We give thanks that you not only see our need, but you know it well. There is this relational knowledge that you have with us because you came and you lived as one of us. 
because you're fully God, you're fully man, you know what we need better than we do. Would you teach us how to come to you to find satisfaction and rest for our souls? And God, as we take communion together for for those of us who believe and confess that you have saved us, would you just deepen and strengthen, bring a richness to our faith as we turn away from finding satisfaction and hope for ourselves by trying to fill our souls, by filling our homes and our bellies and our brains and our pockets, that God, you would lead us out into these desolate places to remind us there's nothing here for us and that only you can satisfy. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Please join me at the table.